Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Okay, good morning, church. My name is uh, Vin, for those who remember me. If you didn't want me back, you can uh, just want to complain or whatever it is, please email me personally at pastordoug at fbc.com. You can contact me there. I think that's the best place. But anyway... Thanks for having me back, FBC. For those who, who do remember, who don't, let me introduce myself. First of all, I know with the face and the accent, a lot of you guys are confused, so I, have, I always have to explain it. First of all, no, I do not know Harry Potter. No, I don't know who he is. I'm not from Hogwarts. Okay, born and raised in Australia. I married a beautiful Calgarian woman, and now I'm here. But, you know, like I tell people, they always ask, why would you leave the sunshine in the beaches? And as, the truth is, when I sign on the dotted line to get married, I didn't read the fine print. <laughs> That's the truth. And, then when I, and the only research, I, the only thing I knew about Calgary was from a movie called Cool Runnings. <laughs> so all my education about Calgary, about Canada, about snow, was from the Jamaican bobsled team. Now... Hey, don't get me wrong. Like, Calgary's home. Canada's home for me. Like, Australia, a bunch of convicts. Who needs them? But anyway, um, yeah, look, I've um, been married for five years to my beautiful wife, Laura. We have two very young children. I haven't slept in two years, and now I'm going to retreat with a bunch of your teenagers. Look, man, like, I don't know what's going to happen at retreat. We're just going to, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. We're all going to get completely messed up. You can translate that any way you want. If you need to come check up on us, please do, okay? And point, point, please tell me who your children are just so I can stay away or whatever it is. But look, um, this morning, look, I'll be preaching from uh, the book of Acts. So in Acts, if you guys have uh, the church app, if you don't, please download it. Uh, so the, the church app uh, or your physical Bibles, whatever you may use, uh, you're welcome to do so. If you just want to listen, that's fine. But in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, that's what I'll be uh, teaching from this morning. So as you open it up, I'll be reading from uh, uh, maybe a version you're not familiar with, but it'll be quite similar to maybe what you're using. So in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, it says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy, uh, promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Hey, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom, of, the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we give you great thanks just for this morning, for this, this time to kind of to gather, to be uh, amongst our brothers and sisters. Uh, Lord Jesus, we actually come for you. Whatever intention we may have, you know, maybe it was to you know, hang out with a friend or whatever it is, we, we ask that we would encounter you as well. That, Jesus, we will encounter you through the hearing of your word, through the preaching of your word. That we will encounter you through great conversations in the lobby. We pray that our children right now in their classrooms will encounter you as well. And we pray that as we encounter, encounter you, that that would spur us on. That as we gather together, that would spur us on to go and show the world through love and good deeds that you are alive and well. That this is not just something that we do here on a Sunday morning in, you know, in these safe wars where we are not judged or anything like that, Lord God, but this would move and change us to leave this place, to see the world for what it is, that it desperately needs you. So, Jesus, may our continued worship here this morning be just worthy in your presence. And in only in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you guys noticed right in the beginning, so the author of Acts is a guy named Luke. Okay, if you don't know Luke, Luke actually writes the Gospel of Luke, which is about two books before the, the, the Gospel of Acts, the, the, the act, Acts itself. And so what's happening here is, Luke, who wasn't a follower and disciple of Jesus during Jesus' time on earth, when Jesus was alive and well, when he had 12 disciples following, following him, when he had people, crowds listening to Jesus teach, when Jesus was healing in front of many, many people, Luke actually wasn't even there. But Luke gets converted, he has an encounter with Jesus, he hears stories, so what he gets kind of uh, encouraged to do, but how he encourages himself is this, he starts to, I've got to write an account, I've got to find out if everything that I've heard about Jesus is true. So what actually happens is Luke himself actually starts to write an account of Jesus, he sits down with all the witnesses and disciples of Jesus. For those who, have, who are still living, who had seen Jesus resurrected, who were there when Jesus healed a person, when, he, when, he, when Jesus preached in front of like hundreds and thousands of people, Luke decides to sit down and interview the witnesses. So that's where the gospel of Luke comes from. So when he says, in my first book, that's what he's referring to. 
But what's great about the Acts itself, the book of Acts, is this, is that he then now writes an account of the so-called the aftermath of it all. So like the Gospel of Luke is great. Like he's, you know, he's telling us stories that for those of us who have grown up in the church, we know and we love the idea of him healing people and eating with sinners and hanging out with prostitutes. He's doing all these crazy things. But Luke wants to delve deep and think to himself, hey, is this going to be a passing fad for the Christians? Is this something that they're just going to do while he's still around and he's still alive? Or is it going to go beyond that? That once he leaves, did Jesus make a lasting impact? And so you've got to, put it, you've got to think about it this way. Um, now that we're in you know, the season of summer now, which is fantastic because winter for me this year was absolutely brutal for me. So summer's great. And for most of you guys, most will maybe travel and go see family and friends. Or a lot of you guys will have family and friends come to you. But here's the thing, especially in my household, when, when, when we're preparing for friends and family come over, which has happened, my wife just gets into this panic mode of, i got to get the house clean. We've got to be presentable. It's got to look nice. You know what I mean? And like you're thinking, she's having the conversation with our children saying, you two kids better behave. She's having the conversation with me. Vin, you better behave when the people come over. You know, you've got to clean up your mess, and, and it's all these things. And so when the people come over, the house is spotless. I'm on my best behavior. But as soon as they leave, oh, man, the real Vin comes back out. I'm, I'm wearing my PJs until 3 p.m. I'm wearing my stretchy pants. I'm, I'm not sucking it in anymore. Like, we're just, I'm going back to my real life once they leave. Because the truth is, when family and friends come to my house, they don't, in a sense, change me for this everlasting good. The, the, what we kind of do and eat together and have laughs, that's all temporary. They haven't made a lasting impact. So this is why the book of Acts, the letter of Acts, is so important. It lets us know that everything that has happened isn't a passing fad. It wasn't temporary for the apostles. And it shouldn't be temporary for us. It is so not temporary for them that we actually find out that when Jesus kind of resurrects, meets them, encounters with them, he, he, you know, he, he allows some of them to touch him and it's just things like that. They are so blown away that when Luke writes this, when he writes the book of Acts, what's really intriguing is that these guys, if it was a complete lie, if it was just a fad, something hip to do at the time, they wouldn't go through with, with half of the things that Luke describes in the rest of Acts. Because in the rest of Acts, Luke actually describes how the disciples, some of the disciples die, or some of the followers of Jesus die. Some are like eaten alive, some are like, you know what I mean, sawn in half. If it was a, just a passing fad, None of them would die for that. This is why Acts is so important. For not just for them, but for us. So church, what have we done? Knowing that this story, this resurrected Christ, this resurrected Jesus is alive and well, is he just a passing fad to make you feel good? 
And once that feeling is gone, what's going to happen? Are you still going to follow Jesus? And that's going to be important even for our teens who go to the senior high camp, where everything intensifies. They're hanging out with each other, the talks, the moments, with Je- the encounters with Jesus. If it's just based on a feeling, once camp is done, the feelings are gone. What then? No, there has to be something bigger and deeper. When you jump straight to verse 6, because what's happening is after like Luke has, uh, has told them this is what Jesus has done, this is what Jesus is reminding these people of, the very first question, if you look at where the disciples' kind of like heart and head is at, he actually, they actually asked Jesus, hey, so when they got together, they asked him, the disciples asked, hey, Lord, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? See, what we have to remember is these followers of Jesus, these Jews, basically what they were basically asking Jesus was, now that you've conquered everything, now you've even conquered life and death, you've conquered sin, you've conquered the grave, you've done amazing things, you've proven who you are beyond a reasonable doubt to us. What, we know what we think this is what you should be doing. You've got to restore Israel. You've got to put Israel in its rightful place. You've got, to, you've got to rule Israel. You've got to let the world know you're king. Are you going to do that? That's what you're going to do now. Here's the thing. Just like us, for some of us in this room, we want to kind of put God in this place that, hey, would you rule and reign? Would you be king in a, in a certain way, in a certain style? Jesus, I'll follow you if you, you kind of do and you be king the way I want you to be king. If you give me the things that I want, then I'll follow you. But what's really encouraging here is this. If you look, because there was so much pressure on these disciples because, you know, the Romans were ruling over them and, and they, they didn't have a place of, they could call home and all these things. Look at Jesus' response in verse 7. If you look at his response, nowhere does he condemn them. He didn't say to them, what a terrible thing to say. How selfish of you. All you want, so our relationship is based on what you want rather than what you actually desperately need and what the world needs. He doesn't do that at all. He allows sometimes, you know, not bad questions, but questions that are off track. He's, He's basically telling them, hey, hey, what you actually need is to Get back on mission. You've got to think beyond Israel. You've got to think towards the ends of the earth now. No longer are you going to be in this safe space and community anymore, in these safe four walls, but you think way beyond that. See, even for us in this room right now, there's some of us in our, in our walk, in our relationship with Jesus, we're just a little bit too comfortable we like to be in this safe place, but here's the thing, and we like to be in the safe zone. Look, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. That's not the ministry of Jesus. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. 
But he's here to at least challenge you to think you've got to respond in a better way. You've got to respond like a thinking beyond yourselves. So as Pastor Doug announced this morning, hey, maybe some of you need to go out there and buy a boat. Not for your sake. So I can ride on the boat. That's the best reason for it. But it's doing these good things, not just for yourself, but for those around you as well. For all the teens who have, haven't met Jesus yet, but by a great act of unselfishness, they get to encounter Jesus. If you look down ahead in verse, uh, in verse 8, after this question by the disciples of asking, hey, you're going to come back to Israel, you're going to rule and reign, you're going to be king over all of us? Jesus doesn't condemn them, but just kind of reminds them, hey, 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 let's concentrate now. There's a bigger purpose than for me to even take Israel back, to take my people back, to take my sheep back. There's something even bigger than that. If you look at the word uh, witnesses there, if you want to highlight it, circle it, that's what we encourage in our church the word witnesses there, the, the original word, the original meaning of that word is the word we use today as the word uh, martyr. The idea of you kind of, you know, you give your life or you die for a, a great cause, a great purpose. And for some of us, maybe that's a scary thought, but let me give you the, the true intent of that word. For some, it might cost life. But for some of us, it won't. For a lot of us, it won't. Um, a, a few months ago, uh, I, got a, I got a call, and as soon as I picked the phone, it was a, a number I didn't recognize, and I got the call, and it just said, uh, Vin, is this Vin? I said, yes, and they go, uh, we need you, uh, this is the Calgary police, and my automatic reaction without even thinking about it was like, I, I didn't do it. And then I said, no, 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 no. Uh, last year, you witnessed an armed robbery, uh, and you, you, know, you saw the assailant, you saw the, the person who did it. We actually need you, you're subpoenaed, to come to court and, and, and to, to kind of testify. And I was like, like, in a sense, like, what do you mean? Like, you, gotta, you mean I've got to point the guy out in the courtroom? He's going to look at me and stuff like that? They go, yeah. So I'm thinking, and as, as I kind of hung up the phone, I sat there thinking about it. I was like, oh, man, is it going to be like those court dramas on TV where I sit in the witness stand? And like, you know what I mean? The, the, you know, the, pros the prosecutor comes in and say, hey, Vin, where's the guy? He's like, that's the guy. You know what I mean? And, but then what makes me really nervous because my mind likes to play tricks on me as I sit and ponder it, I don't imagine the defense lawyer being that nice. He'll walk up to me, oh, Vin. So what happened that day? Tell me. You know what I mean? Are you sure he had a gun? Are you sure he even robbed the place? Are you sure you were even there? Are you sure that's the guy, Vin? Because, Vin, you know, all white guys look the same. <laughs> and, it's, and in the way my mind plays it, it's like, oh man, maybe he's right. Maybe I wasn't there. Maybe none of this happened. Maybe he's just dreaming about it. So, so basically, that's the, that's the idea that Jesus is giving, that even though you're my witnesses, what's happening is there's going to be pressure around you. The thoughts of the world, the thinking, the reasoning, the, the rational thoughts of the world, everything around you, everything around you as witnesses is going to push your thinking. 
It's going to make you second guess. It's going to make you second guess because the world always will second guess. Really? Did Jesus really claim he's the son of God? Did he really die or did he fake his death? Was that really his body on the cross? Did he really resurrect? But come on. We know the disciples stole his body. The world will always make you second guess. The pressures of the world will make you think, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. That's the idea that Jesus is giving here. And here's the thing. If you go to Matthew from chapter 5 to chapter 7, especially in chapter 7 where Jesus gives this beautiful long sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, towards the end, especially in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus actually warns the church and tells them, hey, you know what's going to happen? False teachers are going to come in. They're going to say false things about me. So just be careful. But you know what's intriguing about Matthew chapter 7, verse 15? It's the two verses prior to verse 15. Because in verses 13 and 14, Jesus gives this kind of illustration and says, in a sense, following me is like two roads. One's really wide with a wide gate at the end. And many people will be on it. And lots of people enjoy it and they think it's all good and carefree and whatever it is. But the true road to me is really narrow and not many people will choose it. And when you get to the end of that really tight, narrow road, guess what? There's a narrow gate. So after he explains to his people that the people who are listening to him, there are two roads, one where it's sort of carefree and everybody's on it. And you get to think what you think and you get to believe what you believe. And it's open and carefree. What he says is in verse 15, but be careful. Because basically what he's saying is, not all roads lead to me. That's his warning. There's only one way to the Father, one. Not many roads lead to God the Father. He's saying, only through me. So the pressures of the world, how do we prepare really well? We do what Luke did. If you see what Luke does in the Gospel of Luke, but also... In the Acts of the Apostles, he studied really well. He talked to other Christians. He wrote things down. He opened the Word of God. Like all these things, he figured out through the Old Testament that all these prophecies and promises had to be fulfilled, and they were fulfilled all in Jesus. He did the work. He was prepared. And, he, and so even with all this, we see how Luke and the rest of the disciples and followers of Jesus, we saw how they respond. So how will we respond. Are we going to respond within our own comfort? Or are we going to realize that we're going to respond in a way where we look beyond here, this beautiful place, and think there are so many who do not know Jesus? Look, here's the thing we know we can't do it in our own power. The Bible makes it very clear that our, our, our hearts are actually quite deceitful. 
and there's nothing you can do to change your heart. You don't have anything inside you that's good enough to change your heart, to make it want to follow Jesus or whatever it is. You need a power beyond yourself. But the hard thing is, is the world comes crushing in and tells you what's right, what's wrong, what you desperately need, even though you don't need it. The stats just came out early this year. We did not know this. Canada stats, they've come out with a stat that for all Can- on average, for all Canadians, for every dollar we earn, every dollar we earn, we spend $1.70. We're a country that's constantly in debt. Why? Because the world tells us you need to spend in order to be happy. You need to attain in order to be happy. Because what you need to do is think about yourself. Because you worked your butt off all week. You deserve this. No one can tell you that you don't deserve it. Uh, Laura and I, we have a dear friend. And she's still a dear friend to us. Uh, She hasn't worked in six months. Like, you know, for her in Calgary, it's been really tough for her to find a job. She decided that it's been so stressful in the last six months because she hasn't found work. It's been so stressful. She decided, I'm going to go to a trip to Australia. So she went to the bank, got a loan, because she felt like she deserved the trip to get away from looking for a job. I still don't know how the bank gave her the money. But there she went to Australia. Because for her, she deserved it. She had earned the right to take a break from looking for work. So church, just remember this is that though we're selfish and broken inside, there is no power within us. This is why what Jesus says is so important, even though there's no power in us. He actually tells us that, hey, you're going to receive something. Look, when I first, when I, I remember when I first got into pastoral ministry or even was considering it when God called me into it, I had a, a friend at the time who actually questioned me on it. The reason why is, for those who don't know my story, uh, I was a heroin addict for a while. I ended, up, I ended up in prison. So when they asked me, how can you be a pastor, that's what they were referring to. And all I could say, the only response I had was, because Jesus is not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for perfect people to do the things that he has called us to do. He's called people just like you and I. Broken, sinful, but because of what Jesus has done, he's redeemed us, he's won us over. We're good in his books because of what he has done. And now he's saying, now go respond. Now be my witnesses of that goodness, of the goodness I've shown to you, of how I've redeemed you, how I've brought you back. Let the world know that. Because then they'll know it wasn't in your own power, but in someone else's that did all the work, that did all the saving, and now is pushing you and encouraging you to go and tell people about it. And here's the thing. For those who are listening to this for the very first time, if, you, if, 
If you're a brand new Christian or you know nothing about Christianity or you're second guessing or you're a skeptic or you've only heard negative things about the church, here's here's what I want to say, first of all. Don't reject Christianity because of other Christians. We want you to accept Christianity because of Jesus, not because of my mistakes. But the first thing is this. I know for those who are are wanting to hear about Jesus or or want to have an encounter with him, I know that what the world says a lot, the pressures of the world as for us being witnesses is, well, Jesus, God is always angry. He seems angry all the time. Especially, he's like going around killing people and whatever it is. He's just this angry God that's waiting to sit there, waiting to smite me, waiting until I do something wrong and to point the finger and say, I knew it. You're such a bad person. That's, that's the view that a lot of people have when it comes to Christianity. But the danger has been is this, is that when people view God that way, some people who have good intentions will defend God and say, no, 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 listen. No, no, God is all loving. That's all he is. So you've got these two extreme ends that he's either really, really angry or he's just loving and nothing but loving. The truth is he's both. Is actually both. And this is what you have to understand about how the heart works, but also how God works. You see, how can God who created the heavens and the earth, created you and I, when he looks down at us and he sees us being completely self-centered, selfish, that we think about no one else but ourselves, when he sees those who, who suffer injustices, who are being abused, how can he not look at that and be upset? When he sees his children do that to themselves. Let me give you an example. So I have two daughters. One's two and a half. The other's like 11 months. When you become a father of two daughters, even one, but when, you, when you're a father of two daughters, you start to notice, you know, on TV and movies and when other fathers talk about their daughters, you start to hear those stories of, oh, when my daughter brings her first boyfriend home, you know what I'm going to do. And you hear funny stories of someone having a shotgun or whatever it is. You know, if you hurt her, I'll kill you. You know, stuff like that, right? Like, you start to hear stuff like that. First of all, here's the thing. Most fathers, when they make that comment, the issue is this. You're, you're scared, you know what I mean? You're scared that your daughter's going to bring some boy home that's exactly like you. Because you know why that you know why that scares you? Because you were a jerk when you were that boy's age. <laughs> That's my biggest fear. That my daughter will bring home someone exactly like me. Like, oh man, this is not good. But I imagine this as this scenario keeps playing in my head. I imagine one day Grace comes home. And she'll come home crying, and she will tell me, Daddy, I just got abused. Whatever it was, sexually, physically, it doesn't matter. And she'll be crying before me. 
if I was all angry and took vengeance for myself, I'd go out and kill the guy. It'll be over. And part of my story is, since I've been in prison, I'm not afraid to go back in. But if I was all angry, I'll take justice as my own. I'll do what I need to so-called protect my daughter. If that was just all anger. If I was all loving, just all loving, then you've got to imagine it this way, that my daughter comes to me, is crying, telling me she's got abused, and I'll hug and say, it's okay, I love you. But I love that guy too. So let's, let's let bygones be bygones. Let's just all forgive each other. No, that's not the story of the gospel. The truth is that if I acted in that way, you'd second guess me if I went around killing everyone that hurt my daughter. You'd probably say I'm pretty much unfit to be a father. But if I just said, oh, Grace, forgive yourself and forgive him, let's just bygones be bygones, you would second guess me as a father as well. You'd be like, I don't know, that doesn't, that's, not, that's not cool, man. So the truth is, is that Jesus, he's angry at our, at our sins, at how we treat each other, how we treat him. And yes, he is loving to the point where he would die on a cross. That's how much he's going to show his love. And by his death on the cross, what it does is this. It shows his love, but it turns away the anger of God. A beautiful word that we don't use often today, but the word propitiation. He shows his love, but he has to turn away his anger. See, the thing is, Jesus realized the disciples themselves, you and I in this room, we have no power and authority to change what's going on in here and in here. That only he has it. And that he freely gives it to us. And that's what he's doing with his disciples here. I got to give you my power and authority for you guys, for you guys to be witnesses. And you can't have one without, without the other. You can't. And let me explain to you this way. Um, before, I was a, before I was a Christian, my dad was a pastor. He's, my dad is still a pastor, sorry. But when I was a, when I was a Christian living out on the streets and, and, and being on drugs, uh, one day I decided to take a girl home. Um, and I remember as I got home, bringing this girl, this girl home, as I'm walking up the stairs, dad stands at the top of the stairs and says, I know why you're bringing her here. No, not under my house. My house, my rules. I heard what he said, and I knew exactly what he meant. I walked right past him, brought the girl in my room, closed the door. My father had the authority as my father to make that rule or to tell me not to do this or not to do that. But the problem is he didn't have power over his rebellious son. Now let me flip that around. 
if you just have power. So early, very early on in my, in my youth ministry years, um, I remember driving home really, na- really late after a youth event, and I get a phone call, and it's a mother, and she's like frantic. She says, Pastor Vin, you need to come to my house. My daughter's gone crazy. I need you to come right now. So I turn the car around. I get to the house. The mother opens the front door. She's like sobbing. And she just goes to me, my daughter's at the end of the hallway. Can you, can you go there? She runs into a room, closes the door, and I'm there, left you know, on my own. I walk to the end of the hallway, and one of my former youth members, she's all crazed. She, like, she looks actually crazy, like possessed almost. And she's holding a knife. And she goes to me, Pastor Vinny, if you come any closer, I'll stab you. And I don't know why, but maybe because of my past, I'll just go to her, come on, go ahead. My advice to you is to scream out the name Jesus and run. Don't do what I did, just standing there like some pretend tough guy. In the end, here's the thing. She had power over me because she had the knife in her hand, but she had no authority over me. Do you get it? You actually need both. That's why Jesus gives of himself to be witnesses. He has given us power and authority. Not because you deserved it. Not because you've earned it. But by his grace, he gives you power and authority to tell until the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth, that he is Lord and Savior. He gives you power and authority to do that. And he proves he has power and authority. The word tells us we know through his life, death, and resurrection, he has power and authority over everything. So whom are we to fear? So church, be encouraged. But by the grace of Jesus, he has given you power and authority to tell the world of his goodness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we continue to come before you because of your great and good name, because of what you have done and nothing of what we have done. We repent, we turn, we, we, we ask for forgiveness, Lord Jesus. Help us to leave this place differently, not the same as the way we came in. And Lord Jesus, would you encourage us, whether it be at the workplace, at school, at uh, camp this week, to our neighbours, would you remind us that you have given us power and authority to tell the ends of the earth that you were Lord and Saviour of all, that you lived, you died, you raised back to life. Remind us that we worship a living God, not a fad that gets us pumped up just on a Sunday morning, Lord God. But you were so much more than that. So Jesus, would you expand your kingdom here on earth, and especially here in Lloyd, you know, for your glory and for our good. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.